Good morning. You got your Bibles. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're in our second week here in this section, and we have really started a, a new section. I'm probably going to kick that over, aren't I? Move that over here. We've started a new section where Paul is addressing before issues that need to be addressed. Real issues. <laughs> we would say delicate, confrontive issues. And now he's beginning to address issues of things that have, they have that the church has questions about. Some questions. Culture clouds our understanding of how we should live. And so we're in our second week in chapter 7. We've got one more week in chapter 7. And so let's stand. This is, as you, as you stand with me, we're looking at verses 1 Corinthians 7. 17 to 24. This is literally right in the middle of this section in chapter 7. And, and Paul is given sort of a preliminary summary. Having spoken first about marriage and singleness, he's going to remember that spiraling effect. He's going to spiral back to singleness next week. So think of this, even though you, you, pro- you may or may not have read the text for next week. If you have, this, this will make even more sense in context. 1 Corinthians 7, beginning with verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he is called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we, we need to understand this today, God. We have to go back to work. We have to live in a culture that is seeking to enslave us to their perspectives and their worldview. And Lord, we need yours today. We are sick of being enslaved, God. You have purchased us so that we might be free. And we might be joyful. So help us, Lord. Not live in the enslavement of men one more day. For those who have been called by Christ are free to live in Christ. God, you have bought that for us with the life of your very son. So wake us up from our holiday stupor, Lord, today. Because this is your word. Fill us with your spirit today so that we might understand and apply this wonderful truth in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 
So just so you're aware, we're working on this right now. When 180 weekend comes with our students, we're going to be talking about worldview. And if you've not ever heard that term, you have one, whether you realize it or not. A worldview is simply a pair of glasses, a conceptual lens by which you, we see, understand, interpret the world and our place in it. How were you introduced to Jesus Christ? Every time I've said something about this, back in the beginning, not anymore, we used to, I used to lose a church member. But this is a problem. Most of us were introduced to Jesus Christ this way. You're going to hell, and you don't want to go to hell. So accept Jesus into your heart and you'll be safe from hell. The rest of this life is just putting up with all the terrible so that you can get to heaven. Have you ever been to a funeral? I'm sitting there going, the guy's preaching. I'm sitting there going, I don't know what that is, but that's not Christianity. Christianity is not some fire insurance we put in our safe. And, if, and we said this last week. If that's true, why did Paul get in our sex life last week? Why is he concerned about how we live? Why was Jesus desired for our joy to be full right now? Well, Paul's concerned about it. We should be concerned about it. Many people walk away from the Christian faith not because they've tried it and found it wanting, but because they've never tried it. Paul wants us to understand that, in it, that such a worldview even with Christ's name on it, is not only foreign to the Bible, it is life-defeating. So Paul wants us to understand, how do we live a Christian life? So today, we live under the Lordship of Christ in this life, right now. So what is he saying today? This preliminary summary. Jesus is Lord of your singleness. And he is Lord of your marriage. He is Lord of your celibacy. And he is Lord of your monogamy. He's Lord. It's all encompassing. Why? Because we were created, you see. We were created both for relationship and service. That was the way it was in the garden. Sin robbed us of our ability to not only relate to each other and to God, but also to serve Him and enjoy it. Therefore, we are redeemed. Listen, this is important. This is, this is Christianity. We are redeemed, both for relationship and for His service. Here's the problem. We're not in the garden yet. Right? Some of us are so discontent in our lives because we expected when we got saved, God would give us the Garden of Eden. And this is not it. Will be. That's another message. You see, this is the issue. Lordship brings you where you are right now into service of God. Therefore, giving every situation in your life purpose and meaning right now. Here's his little... Summary, don't be in a hurry to change your external circumstances of your life simply because you become a Christian. There's only one point of the sermon today and two examples. If you didn't give us an example, it would be a short message. The main idea, every believer must live the life the Lord has assigned them under the Lordship of Christ. This is our one point. He wants to make sure we understand it, so he gives us a couple of 
examples, these examples meant something to the culture at that time. Every believer must live under the lordship of Christ. Look at verse 17. Only let the person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. How do we live the Christian life? Paul would simply say you live it under the lordship of Christ. Lordship has the mindset of that of a king and subjects. That's not the only way we see God, these different lenses that we see, but this is what lordship points to. And he says the life that the Lord has assigned. Do you see that? What is he talking about? Well, the context drives the meaning. One's marital, marital, socioeconomic, and physical circumstance is, that the, is the assignment. You see that sovereignty of God's lordship? The primary context here is marriage and singleness. It's on both sides of this preliminary summary. We said last week, the Bible has two categories. Marriage, which is monogamy, monogamy and celibacy. Singleness has a purpose. That's next week. But see, this for this culture that the Christian church was living in, women had no choices. And men, this was a male-dominated society, patriarchal in it the way it understands. And men married because of how it helped them in their community. It was as much socioeconomic and making sure that we have an heir to, to secure the family line and the family name. All that. Paul said, listen, whatever situation you're in, the Lord has given it to you as an assignment. That word means he divided it to you. He assigns responsibility. He deals it out. He's Lord of your situation. Be you single or married or widowed. Or whatever. Here's what I want you to see. You have to think back to the 1 Corinthians 1.4. But this is important today. I think for us. The Lord not only gives you the assignments. The situation of your life. He gives you the grace to live it. This is important. <laughs> He's already said this. And he'll say more later. Look at chapter 1 verse 4. 1 Corinthians 1, 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because, listen, of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in Him in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Verse 8, He's going to sustain you to the end. God just did not save your soul. And put you in a situation. He gives you the power. That is grace, by the way. It's not bunny rabbits hopping around. It's a sword. It's power. Spirit power. He gives us the power to live it. It's important. We're going to talk about more of that in chapter 12. Why? Why does he... Uh, he's, he's sitting there going, But I don't like my assignment. I don't like my situation. He's called us, you see. You see that word called? That's a divine word. If you don't understand King Jesus, that word makes no sense. It means summoned. It means when a king summons you, you come. He called you. 
This, this writes our understanding lest we misunderstand what he's saying in that he's given us an assignment. He's given us our situation to say, remember that you have been called. That, sh- that didn't need any explanation then. God is sovereign in his divine call. That's what that means. Galatians 3.28. It's a good verse. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you understood the culture that he was speaking that into, he was being countercultural when the women were property. He said, everyone, slave or free, man or woman, one in Christ. Why? Because we have all been called. And the one who calls is the one who assigns. Here's, here's the point. Here's why it's important to understand that God is the first cause of your salvation. Because we are called not ultimately because of our status or our culture, but solely because of His grace. This is important, what I'm about to say. Important quote. Cultural background or social status does not indicate nearness to God. That is as profound in this day as it was in the end. Cultural background or social status does not indicate nearness to God. Jesus is Lord of your challenging single life. He is Lord of your busy married life. He is Lord of the freedom in your retirement. And He's Lord of your demanding college life. He is Lord of it all. He has assigned it to you. He gives it to us, brothers and sisters, to serve Him in it. He saves us. He gives us our situation. He gives us the grace to serve Him right where we are. And every believer must live under the Lordship of Christ. Regardless, and this is his two illustrations, his two examples, regardless of cultural background. This is good news, by the way. This is good news for them. It's good news from us. Your past does not define nor confine you today. Look at verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call, now he's talking about salvation there, already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks. Was any, is anyone, when he was saved, uncircumcised, let him not seek to be circumcised? So what is he saying? He's saying the cultural background is not an indicator of your spiritual status. Why circumcision? You know, I was sitting there going, I was, I was reading that, I was sitting there going, how many times am I going to have to say circumcision, uncircumcision without getting tongue twisted? This was a big deal. This was what we would call a cultural marker of the day. It's not one today. But we have ours. We're doing our, our gateway assessments through the community. And what do you like about Kings Mountain? People like southern hospitality. They like the small town friendliness of Kings Mountain. It sort of marks us where we are of something that we love. It's, people notice it when they come, not just in Kings Mountain, but down south. Race in our day is a cultural marker. And socioeconomic is almost a universal cultural marker of their day and ours. Circumcision was just a huge deal. So think about it. 
you're living in a Greco-Roman kind of culture where more, and think of this is a male-dominated society, where more people are Greeks and Romans are somewhere in between than Jewish. And now you as a Jew were, was tempted, you may, we may not even think about this, was tempted to, when they were saved, not only to abandon their religion, but to abandon any marks of that. Because the culture was dominated by a Greek society. We already should be familiar, if you remember your New Testament, that the Judaizers that infiltrated the church would almost force a Greek or an uncircumcised person to be circumcised. You see all that? See how that gets all clouded up in the life, everyday life of the church? Here's what Paul said. Look at verse, four, verse 19. For neither circumcision now counts for anything or uncircumcision. In other words, he's saying they're nothing. In other words, what does he mean by that? They had no influence, either favorable or unfavorable, why you are a Christian. You're a Christian because of his grace. And so Galatians, you may want to mark Galatians if you hadn't already. There's a couple of verses here. Galatians 6.15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision but a new creation. The best part of you and the best part of me is the fact that we have been born again by His grace. And my culture, be it good or bad, in the eyes of this world, made no difference. I was saved despite it. He says, notice it's right there in verse 19. Cultural background then. He's not saying it's not important. We'll get to that in a minute. It's not ultimate. It's not ultimate. Here's what he says is ultimate as a Christian. Obedience. You see that in verse 19? Our calling is a calling to obedience. You follow Christ. Here's what he's teaching us today. You are following Christ in your obedience, no matter the assignment, no matter the station, no matter the season of life, no matter the cultural marker that you had nothing to do with being placed on you, it had no bearing on why the Lord called you to Himself to start with. We are to serve Him. This is all through Scripture. We know this. You don't have to turn there. Just stay in Galatians if you're there. 1 John 2, 3, you, should, you know this by heart. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we what? Keep His commandments. Paul in Galatians said it this way, Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Remember what Jesus said? If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Love, joy, passion, it's all bound up together. This is what happens when you give somebody a wrong view of Christianity to start with. Then you impose a moral framework while, by which he is either more or less accepted by God. That's legalism. That is not Christianity. We obey him because we love him. 
We do not live this life with a debtor's ethic trying to pay God back. It has been paid. We are free. We live from love. That's what he's saying. We are called to obedience. Listen. You've got to fight for this this morning. And you know this is true. Discontentment is rebellion against the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's why it makes you so miserable to be discontent. We were not created for discontentment. And by the way, we are not created to empty ourselves of desire either. God created desire and it is good. But our desires are under the Lordship of Christ. You see that? Paul taught Timothy this. I don't think this is in your notes. 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 8. Just a really good principle to be able to apply it in everywhere of our life. What does faith working through love look like, looks like on Monday? 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world, but we have food and clothing. With these we will be content. We live under the Lordship of Christ. Look at, look at verse 20. It's not only cultural. It's regardless of our cultural background. But also regardless of our social status. So for them, and they used cultural background. He used circumcision as an illustration. And now he uses slavery. But he, he comes back to the point. Verse 20. This is, he's just restating what he's already said in verse 17. Each one should remain in the condition into which he's called. So do you see, he, he makes this point, very simple point. Live the life that God has assigned to you under the Lordship of Christ. Don't seek to change it. Then he uses an example. Then he comes back to this point again. Lest we forget, each one should remain in the condition. I love this word remain. I got so excited when I started studying. I ran into Mike's, Micah's office. I said, you know what this word means? This is awesome. You see this? I get excited like that. It's, this is God's word. It's all tied together. This word Greek means, we might think of fishing. That's not what it means. We think when I heard minnow. That's the Greek word, minnow. It's present active imperative. We are commanded to do this and to keep on doing it. What does that word mean? It means to stay, to lodge. To reside. Here's what got me excited. Turn with me to John 15. John 15. We know this and we love this verse. If you're a believer. Such wonderful promises here. Look at verse 7. John 15 verse 7. This is the same word. If you abide in me. See that word abide? Same word in 1 Corinthians. You could say, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. If you abide in me. Paul's button. Think about 1 Corinthians 7.20 now. Each one should abide in the condition in which he's called. John 15 goes on to say by this, the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
Remain there. Don't move from it. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You have an assigned condition. You see that verse 20? Back to verse 20 in 1 Corinthians 7. An assigned condition. Saying the same thing he said in verse 17. This is your station. This is your season. This is part of your calling. You see that? You were saved in a situation, so live as a Christian in that situation. That's what he's saying. Our relationship with God establishes our spiritual status, not what the social status of the day says we are. It's good news. Here's some clarity, I hope. If you find yourself in sin, what does the Bible say for you to do? It's already said it. Flee, you remember? But if you live in a dark society, here's what he's telling you to do. Turn the light on. That's what he's saying. Jesus said that, remember you sing a song, don't hide your light under a basket. Here's what we do. Someone lives in a gang, drug-infested part of town and he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And what do we do? We hire a U-Haul and we move him out. And we do that, brothers and sisters, not because we want him out, but because we don't want to go in. And that, brothers and sisters, is sin. God is calling us to turn our lights on right where we are. And if we as the church... Do not want become our buildings to become monasteries. We better get out there to where the darkness is because God saved us in amongst it and tells us to abide there and turn the light on. That's what it means to be a Christian, brothers and sisters. We are called to bring the gospel to bear through our status in Christ in the midst of the dark world we live in. Listen to what I'm saying here this morning. Our cultural background and our social standing are not barriers. They are part of the assignment given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Our, our cultural background and our social standing are not barriers. They are part of God's assignment given to us by the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.26, he tells the prideful church in Corinth to remember who they are or who they were. Remember what he said? Verse 26 of chapter 1. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standard. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish to shame the wise. God chose what is weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even in things that are nothing, to bring to nothing the things that are. And just to make sure we understood the point, he brings up the issue of slavery. The, the picture of what should a Christian do if they're a slave and they get saved. How does that social standing impede their ability to live the Christian life? Just so you understand the concept of people that were receiving this letter to start with in Corinth. A third of the Greco-Romans were slaves. 
A third were emancipated slaves, and a third were freeborn citizens. That means that two-thirds of the people in Corinth had first-hand experience what it meant to be a slave. And by the way, it didn't mean what it meant in the 1850s. You can't impose that on the Bible. You must go back to what it meant to be a slave then. But here's what it, here's what it means universally. In the 1800s and then, slaves were under the control of their masters. That proved to be a wonderful metaphor for the Lordship of Christ. But here's the point. If you were a slave, it affected your social standing, right? In the community. This was, remember, this was a class system. The elite and the poor. They, they both began to get saved. Right? You feel that tension? What do we do now? Right? Now we got Jews and Greeks. Now we got a slave and free. Now we got men and women. They're both coming to Christ. Now we're part of this one family. Here's the question. Verse 21. Let's read that first. Chapter 7. This word bondservant, by the way, means doulos in Greek. It means slave. Were you a bondservant when called? Were you a slave when called? Question. Do not be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself. He's saying don't be troubled. Don't be worried. Here's the question. Can you feel the question? Am I less effective Christian because I'm a slave? And by the way... The system of borrowing and debt has created a lot of slaves today. We are slaves in the same way they are. We're two weeks away from bankruptcy. He's saying, am I less a Christian because I'm a slave? Can, can we just be honest and real this morning with social status and bring it into our day? Am I less a Christian because I live in subsidized housing? Am I a better Christian because I live in the country club? This is the question. Paul does, Paul's not, this is not the point of the text. He's not binding the readers to remain in slavery. Say, slavery, by and large, is the mentality of your life or not. He does not want them to be consumed with the fact that I would be a better Christian if I was only free. He's saying, listen, don't concern yourself. If you, can get, if you can become free, be free. Here's what he's saying. You, God can be served whether you're slave or free. God can be served whether you live in subsidized housing or the country club. And listen, he gets to choose which is which. And we serve him in the situation. The Lord's not against you better in your situation. But he does not want us to be enslaved by the desire for it. You see the difference? Bettering ourselves should not be our consuming passion. Christ should be serving him. You see, in Christ, we are free. That's what he's saying. Whether, if you're a slave, you are really free. If you're, not a, if you're not a slave, if you're a free person, then you're a slave of Christ. That's what he says in verse 22. 
Our status in life is determined by the household we live in, and we live in the household of Jesus Christ. That's what he's teaching us today. That's the greatest reality of me. Not where I get my mail. Not what somebody calls me or does not call me. Every person. Think about that in that day where a third of everybody there was a slave. That person shares in the benefits, status, and obligations of the person who lives in a country club. No difference in Christ. Because in Christ, here's the illustration. Here's the metaphor. We are all slaves of Christ. That is to mean our wills are bound up in the will of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what He's teaching us. But what do we pursue, brothers and sisters? What do we teach our kids to pursue? Sometimes we call it upward mobility. Young people... I I read this and it's true. Young people move every two to three years. You know why? They're climbing a ladder. They can't see it, but they've been told it's there, right? You climb this ladder. So you got to move to get a better job, to make better pay, to climb some ladder, and you keep climbing it your whole life, and one day you're going to get happy if you finally get to the top of this ladder that doesn't exist, but that everybody tries to climb it. Only one day to either retire or be retired from service. Then the culture tells us you just need to move to the beach and collect seashells so Jesus comes back or you die. I'm sitting there going, I don't know about you, but that just doesn't make much sense. That's because it's not a Christian idea. Paul says true upward mobility is to see themselves as belonging to the Lord and no other master, no matter your situation, no matter your season, no matter your culture, no matter your social class, and no matter your age. We belong to Him and we serve Him till we go and serve Him there. We are free. But we were bought. See that verse 23? Coming back to this, reoccurring, really important. Remember our growth group lessons teaching you how to study your Bible? Important, it's because reoccurring. For verse 23, you were bought with a price. This is the most important word for me, just personally. You know, Scripture, everybody, we stood up on Thanksgiving, everybody got their most important Scriptures, right? And they were different. Praise the Lord for that. This one's important to me personally because of what I struggle with. I need that, this verse 23 this week. Do not become bond service of men. We are free, but we were bought. That's what he's saying. Is that a tension? You better believe it is. It's a good one. First Peter 1, 18. You don't have to turn there. You know what it says. Knowing that you were ransomed. From the futile ways inherited from your forefathers with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You see, this is so important for me. For Paul, a free Roman, being a slave of Christ was the highest calling of his life. And having God as his father, the, the highest privilege. He lived Those two tensions of reality, and they are beautiful tensions by which we live. Here's why. Because we are free. Because we have been purchased. Therefore, we are never to be slaves of men again. He says this to people who were enslaved. 
Never be a slave of a man. We, that means, brothers and sisters, that we must resolve to stop living in the fear of man. Their approval or their rejection does not determine me, define me, nor confine me, for I am a child of the King, and I bow to only one Lord. Listen, brothers and sisters, that's Christianity, and that took our brothers and sisters before Nero on their feet. Should it not take us to the nations? It is easy, brothers and sisters, for us to accept unquestionably what our culture says the kind of mama we need to be or the kind of daddy we need to be or the kind of employer we need to be or the kind of church we need to be. I love the book. We used to have it on the thing. I don't know if it's out there now. It was called Mom Enough. <laughs> it's really important. Title. Because here's what he's wrestling with. It's the same thing we wrestle with. We can adopt a man-made system. And adopt that system. Impose Christianity on it. And feel like Jesus is not going to be happy with me. As a mama or a daddy or, or a single person. If I don't fill in the blank. And Jesus says today. You live under the Lordship of Christ. We are free to obey Him. We don't have to live under the fear of man anymore. That's freedom, brothers and sisters. So Paul ends this preliminary summary of this section by, by coming back to the beginning as he does so often. Verse 24, that gets us into our so what. Therefore, remain. There's our word again. Abide. Abide in your situation with God. See that? In whatever condition each was called, let him remain but don't miss the last two words. With God. Do you know in the original language, that's a spatial reality. You understand what I mean by that? He's not saying that's something mystical. He, he's saying that we live in our situation with God by our side. That's what it means. He's with us. He's by our side. We are mindful of His presence and His favor. And if we are, I don't have to try to get it from somebody else. My social status, or lack thereof, my cultural boundary, or the fact that people despise my cultural boundary, does not impact one minute, one second, my communion with my God. By the way, brothers and sisters, if you took notes today, test of a good message, by the way, you took notes today, you can stick this message in your Bible and get on a plane and go to Haiti, Honduras, or Zambia and preach it. And if you can't, we got a problem. This is the message, brothers and sisters, handed down. I can get saved and God not change my circumstance and I can experience the fullness of joy. Is that true of you today? Are you living under the Lordship of Christ? I'm not asking you begrudgingly. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm living under the Lordship of Christ and I hate it. Are you living under the Lordship of Christ with freedom and joy? I remember what it was to be single and 20. Believe it or not, I'm almost 50. I can remember it was hard. 
Well, single didn't want to be single. It's a war to fight for contentment in that situation. I can remember when my wife homeschooled and had all, all three kids at that time at home about to go crazy because her husband was working 14 hours a day and she never got to talk to an adult. Hard to be content there. Single moms, we just met one at the hospital the other day who works all the time, comes home to be a parent, helps her kids with schoolwork, falls into bed, gets up, does it all over again. Moms work outside the home and still will be a mom. Husbands are leaders in their homes and leaders in their work and leaders in their church. Can we just be honest that half the time we feel like a failure at all of it? It's true. We need this message today. What God has spoken about me is true. God is not going to change your situation all the time. Sometimes He will. I love what Tom Schreiner said. God desires for us to bloom wherever He plants us. And He gets to choose where we're planted. My time has went to the red my little timer up here. You can't see it. Y'all would be packing up if y'all could see that timer. Y'all be sitting there going, that's red. Let's get out of here. Listen, this is important before we leave. There's a little book I meant to bring it and I forgot. It's called When People Are Big, God Is Small. I recommend that you read that book. It helped me and Christina's relationship in a very practical way. Why? Because it forced us to answer the question this morning. It's what I want to leave you with. Are you enslaved by what you feel like you need? Are you enslaved by what you think you deserve? Most of our great barriers listen to what God desires for us, which is felt joy and felt happiness, comes from the reality that we have these felt needs and now they have controlled us and we have been turned into slaves of what we think we need. And in turn, we impose that on every relationship we have in our life. This is why me and Christina had to work on our marriage through counseling to help them understand if Christ is all I need, why am I putting that on my wife? Who or what is controlling you? You see, this is the lordship question that we have to wrestle with in application today. Because whatever is controlling you, brothers and sisters, is the object of your trust. It is what you're putting your faith in. And if it is not the one who loved you enough to die for you, then it will never bring you lasting joy and happiness. I love Ecclesiastes. We talked a lot about it. Micah was teaching through it. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He gets to the end of the matter. He says, the end of the matter, everything has been heard. The sermons are over. Solomon said this, fear God, keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. I know this morning we may be in a holiday coma. We warned our new pastor who just planted a church that uh, Thanksgiving, after, Sunday after Thanksgiving is the hardest sermons to preach. Because everybody's throwing 
We've had just enough time off to realize how tired we are. But can we stop as, right before the praise team comes up and as they come up and remember what we're about to sing? Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I am yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. It is Jesus that said, John 15 and verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy might be full. Let's pray. Lord, this is good news. That you do not want us to empty ourselves of joy and happiness. You want it to be full. And so, Lord, we ask you now, as we now come, Lord, to the hard part. How shall we live, God? That you have given us a glimpse of what it means to live under the Lordship of Christ with contentment and great joy because of who we are and what you've done in your son. Thank you, Lord, that you have promised to give us a felt joy right now. Not simply a promised joy in the future when we die, but one that we can feel. Lord, you said this is eternal life, that we can know you now. So God, may that be true. And God, if it's not true today, Will you give us the strength, Lord, to just lay our lives on the table and help us understand that something has enslaved us. You've called us freedom. May we wrestle together so that we may be free to obey you with reckless abandon. God, this is while we are in prayer today because there's people over the world whose joy can't be full because they don't even know who you are may it begin here Lord but now thank you Lord that we get to stand to our feet and to make much of you with our mouths and then in a few minutes start giving and then in a few minutes with our very lives receive our worship in Jesus name Amen stand with us